0: They might know a lot more than you think and they might also also have some misperceptions that you want to correct.
1: You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast episode number 378. Today we're talking about teaching kids finances with Bobby Rebel. Of kids. Hey, welcome back. So glad you're here. Listen, if you haven't done so yet, please hit that subscribe button so you don't miss any episodes. And if you've gotten some value from this podcast, I would greatly, greatly appreciate it. If you can just go over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and review. It just helps the podcast grow and it just takes 30 seconds and I hugely appreciate it. In just a moment, I'm going to be sitting down with Bobby Rebel, author of "Launching Financial Grownups: Live Your Richest Life by Helping Your Almost Adult Kids Become Everyday Money Smart." A financial literacy advocate, she's the host of "Money Tips for Financial Grownups" podcast and the founder of grownupgear.com. Bobby was previously a global business news anchor and a personal finance columnist at Reuters and held various journalistic positions at top news outlets, including CNBC, CNN, and PBS. And we talk about teaching kids finances. You know, kids, teens, and young adults need to know how to navigate the financial challenges of adulthood, including debt credit cards, how to manage their own household, all this stuff. So we're going to talk about all this. And if you want to know what you're to teach your child about money, this is a must listen. Join me at the table as I talk to Bobby. Do you want to stop yelling and have your child listen to? Well, I have exciting news for you. If you're hearing this right now, it means that the doors to mindful parenting are open at mindfulparentingcourse.com. This only happens for a limited time and it may be perfect for you if you want to be that patient, calm parent, but you're afraid of being walked all over. You're losing it and you want to be that steady, peaceful parent. You don't have a cohesive method and you take in bad advice, like just count to one, two, three. Mindful Parenting is an evidence-based system that not only teaches you how to calm your reactivity, but offers you a ton of personal guidance. A lot of other parenting coaches talk about the best way to respond to your child, but guess what? They don't walk you through the research-proven practices that it really takes to create changes that actually last. Mindful parenting teaches you the specific steps to create cooperative, loving relationships for life. In mindful parenting, you can learn how to stay calm even if you find yourself shouting hourly now. Be present for your child no matter what they're going through. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com and join now before the doors close again. That's mindfulparentingcourse.com. I'll see you there. the essential money skills that kids need to learn I think this is something that we parents neglect a lot which I'm so I'm so super excited to talk to you about this and and of course my kids are now 15 and 12, So I'm like I'm thinking about them and my older daughter is finally getting her first job she's like just just started working so what are some of these uh, skills that they need before they leave the house
0: they need the basic life skills. They need to understand how to run their life, much like you think about, um, you know, just the basic home ec courses that used to be taught in school. And they're really not. But the most basic thing they need to understand is how to pay their basic bills, what it costs to live their life, how to, you know, what kinds of things they need in order to be, as I'd like to call it, financial grown ups. And that's not something you're going to just sit down with them and have a conversation at a specific. You know, random age at a specific lifestyle milestone that you're going to just tell them. Well, here's the you know the grocery list of the financial skills that you need to know. No, it's a lot of things that have to evolve over time, and I don't want anyone to panic and say, "Uh-oh, I missed it. I didn't do this at this specific milestone." But it is something that is going to evolve, and a lot less painlessly than many parents um, may think. It can be intimidating, but the truth is. Almost all the lessons that you need to teach your children about money are things that you are already doing, probably doing very well. And if you just kind of think about it a little bit more consciously, you can teach them in the moment in a very natural, authentic, and organic way.
1: Okay. That's heartening because I feel like personally, I grew up without a lot of money lessons, except for like money doesn't grow on trees was like one lesson I learned. And it was like, I I think, you know, as an an adult in my later in my life, I learned about, oh, like investing and saving, you know, all I, I think I learned as a kid, you know, as a kid, I put half my allowance in for savings. And then I bought myself my first car when I was 16. And and I and I got learned how to get college loans. I, I learned about debit versus credit cards. But I feel like there were so many lessons that my own parents missed that I want to make sure I don't miss. So I love this. And and what at least with my husband and I, what we've tried to do is be a little bit transparent about what things cost and how much money we have and how much money we earn. We try to like kind of be open and transparent about that. Is this one of the things that we should be doing is talking about things as they kind of arise?
0: That's exactly what you should be doing. And I'm going to reference back to one of my favorite episodes of your show. And I was just looking at my phone trying to find it. And I'm sure you can probably um, say the guest name, but she was talking about um, how to get your kids to help more around the house. And her general message was basically don't try so hard, just include them in what you're already doing. And I would apply that to money lessons as well. Just bring them along with you to what you're already doing. So I remember growing up, my mother on Friday afternoons, part of our routine was we would go to the bank because banks used to close and then you would not have money to buy things over the weekend. So she had to figure out what she would need over the weekend, fill out a withdrawal strip, and go either inside to a teller, or more often we would do the drive-through, which was super cool at the time. Where there was this tube, and you would put the paperwork, actual paper, she'd fill out, and she'd put in the tube, and it would get sucked under the, you know, under the road somehow, and magically appear. You'd see it pop up in the banking window in the drive-through, and then they would do something and come back, and they would put money in the cylinder, and it would magically go under there. It was so—I mean, I still have such a great childhood memory of this. And then she would have money for the weekend, right? So I learned about, you know, planning from just being there in the car and asking her, well, what are you doing? And she would explain what was going on. So I would say the same thing to parents is, you know, Nari, people complain, they say, oh, it's so hard because everything's digital. I would say no. First of all, we don't have a choice. So let's not even discuss what coulda, shoulda, woulda. But also, you have everything right there on a screen. So I live in New York City when we take cabs, there's an app called Curb that most of the cabs are on. And it says very clearly, both on the screen of the taxi, what's going on. It says all of the surcharges, the taxes, the basic fare to get the cab, the fare per whatever, one eighth a mile. And I was able to teach my now 14-year-old how, you know, how much a taxi costs because it was right there in front of us. So it actually, I feel, made it much easier. And we're in the taxi. We don't really have anything else to do, but discuss how much taxis cost? And from there, we also used to do something. And this is pre COVID when we had more choices. Um, he would have activities and we would say, I would say, okay, you have half an hour before your activity. We could take a taxi there and just chill when we get there. Or you could use the same amount of money to have a quick snack that you can choose, but then we'll walk there. And I was empowering him, but he was also learning the price. He had to figure out it had to be a price that would, uh, the snack had to be less than or the same as a taxi because we can control the price of the snack, not the price of the taxi. So integrating it into your life. And as you say, which you are definitely doing correctly, being transparent is everything.
1: So it's, and a lot of people have, we have hangups about this, right? Like we have hangups about talking about money <laughs> in the United States, at least. I don't know how, what it is like in other places, but we have hangups about saying like how much you earn, how much you don't earn, et cetera, how much things cost. These are things we can talk about with our kids. We can say, this is how much our mortgage is. This is how much I get paid each month. This is how much the taxes were, that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, and, and the truth is though, it's okay to be mindful of the appropriate age for that. You don't have to have this discussion with your five- year old. but the odds are your teen, they can look up some of your assets, probably your home, let's say, and if you're driving a certain car, they can pretty much guess what the car costs. And so they might have a pretty good sense. They can look up what kind of job you have, what that would pay. They might know a lot more than you think, and they might also also have some misperceptions that you want to correct. So it's important that you have that communication because they might see, oh, you know, you have this job, so you make so much money and our house is worth so much. Why can't we go on this crazy expensive vacation that all my friends are going on? And they may not realize, number one, you may have other expenses that they are not seeing, right? Or maybe that's just not your choice. Maybe that's not where you're choosing to put your money. And it opens up the door to have these conversations, not just about how much money you have, but how to decide... The best use of your economic resources.
1: Yeah, we we've had these conversations with our kids, kind of as growing up in different ways. Um, we chose to invest in early childhood education for our kids because I believe that was like makes an incredible lasting uh, difference. You know, we paid for this private Montessori school that like happens to be like right next door to me, basically, and um, and then as you know, as it became time to like go into a public school, I ended up being um, on the board of the first public charter monastery in the state of Delaware. And so very excited. I was like, this is how much money we're going to be saving every year. And we can take this money and we can do these kind of things with it. And it's been pretty interesting, actually, like my oldest daughter, Maggie, who's 15 now, for the last couple of years, she has somehow did the research I guess, like, during the pandemic, she must have done the research on this. And she did the research on, like, what it costs, like, college costs and things like that, and found out that college is, like, much less expensive in Germany. And you can actually go for, like, as an American citizen, you can go and pay what the Germans pay, which is, like, barely anything. And so now she's having us invest in German lessons, and she wants to go to college in Germany so she doesn't have student loan debt, which I shared with them when i ended it stopped paying my student loan debt in my 40s you know and um so it's been pretty interesting to kind of see them incorporate these lessons but like kind of in different ways sometimes i feel like when we're transparent with my 12 year old she worries too much you know cuz she she's into horseback riding and it's like a super expensive sport <laughs> to do. Luckily, she's pretty good now. So they want her to, to ride this horse. Um, so she's riding four days a week. She doesn't have to like pay for every single time she l- rides, but the lessons are pretty expensive. It's kind of like the most expensive thing we do. And so she, I feel like she worries about that. And she's like, when I get a job, she just told me recently, when I get a job, I'm going to pay for my riding lessons. And I thought, what kind of kid says that like we've been paying for this thing all along we haven't you know and and I said well maybe like maybe you can pay for half or something I don't know i <laughs> just like it's interesting to see sort of different personalities take in the information in different ways I guess I want to tell you about a great podcast that you should check out especially if you ever deal with any school system which you probably do is called understood explains I highly recommend you check it out. To listen to Understood Explains, just search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's it. Understood Explains.
0: Yeah, you're I mean, exactly right. And that's, that's the truth. I mean, different kids are ready at different stages and different kids will react in different ways. And that's just the amazing thing. I mean, it's, it always still blows my mind that you could have siblings and such incredibly different personalities and different values and different goals. And so it is important to treat each child individually. And what I hear that I love is that you are listening to your kids very clearly and you're tuning into what's important to them. And you know, the older one, very important to her to graduate college debt-free. She's willing to make choices that maybe she also does want to, I hope she also wants to learn German and is interested in living in, in Germany for college because um, I hope that you don't want to do that just to get the tuition. But you know she clearly is driven in one way and the younger one is driven in different ways. And that's amazing. And it's important to respect that. I've had that in my own family where the oldest, she really wanted, um, originally she wanted to be a teacher and then she decided she really wanted to be a homeowner at an early age. And she really wanted to have a job that was high paying. She didn't want to stress about money and she wanted to be able to, she's not into material things as is typical of many 25 year olds, but she wants to travel. She talks about in in my book, she talks about, um, that she's saving for a trip to Japan. It was postponed because of the pandemic, but she is talking about it again now. And she wanted to have season tickets to uh, or season passes to Disney World. Those are her values, and she thought, how do I get to my goals? I need a higher paying job than teaching. I'm gonna go be a computer, um, uh, like a risk consultant. I always botch what she actually does, but it's very complicated and she's very good at it. Um, but she was able to you know, switch her major, switch into the School of Informatics from the teaching school at Indiana and graduate and get a really high paying job. And from there, she's been very successful because she's good at the work, So she didn't choose something she wasn't good at. She didn't choose something she didn't like. But if everything paid the same, she might not have chosen it, but she really focused on what she was interested in. Number two, just graduated from college. He is studying or he studied film and TV, and he's still figuring it out. He knows that he can live at home for a finite period of time. Um, We're happy to have him. He's a great kid. While he figures it out, but he also knows that he has to find a way to create a life for himself in the film and TV industry, if that's what he wants to do. And that's a little trickier than just having a corporate job. And we support that, but we're having those conversations with him and we're listening to him and we're letting him make the decisions and understand that choices have outcomes. I don't like the word consequences because it's negative, but the choices he makes will have outcomes and he will live with whatever outcome comes from the choices that he makes. And it's our job to just support him and make sure he understands as much as possible about how how the choices he makes will likely evolve.
1: Okay, so before we get deeper into kind of like what the teens need to know, can we take a step back and just go over the basics of like what do you recommend as for things like allowance and stuff like that? Should get should good kids get just a certain amount of money and then, you know, and not have it be tied to jobs? Should it be tied to jobs? When we think about like kind of those, those kid basics, what, what do you recommend there?
0: I think people have to look at the kid and see what the kid values and work backwards from there. Because for example, if I say to my son, you get allowance if you do these five things, but he has nothing he needs to buy with the allowance, it doesn't work that's what happened in our household it just doesn't work so he is not fine this is the 14 year old right now there's literally nothing he wants to buy he doesn't want to buy clothing he has his computer games he's good so you have to find other ways to teach him about money and we do that you know we can go over how investing works and have conversations and what's interesting is that we don't always agree he's going through a phase where he has concerns about how the stock market works and capitalism. And so we're having those discussions. And I think that's really important and healthy for kids to be allowed to express their own opinions and for you to listen, especially in this age where there's so much controversy about NFTs and crypto and who knows what will be when this airs because things are very volatile right now. I am not an investor in crypto or NFTs because I don't understand it. And I also, as someone in middle age, don't necessarily want to take high risks with my money at this stage in life. That's not to say it might be an, it might be an appropriate investment for your 20-year-old, but what's important is that they understand the risks. So with back to the younger one, I think that you have to look at what is going to resonate with the child and really focus on your goal. Is your goal to get money into their hands or is your goal to teach them about money? Is your goal to teach them how to earn money? You know, there's different different pathways to different goals. And so allowance, I'm making it more complicated than it needs to be in some ways. But, you know, it just, I guess I'm I'm giving you a big, it depends. (laughs) It depends. And different kids, you know, but that's the thing, like allowance worked really well with older kids. It worked really well with my older kids, but the younger one, he's just not, he doesn't. If you say you're only getting your allowance if you make your bed, he'll be like, yeah, okay. And that's the problem with tying money to things. You know, and then the other thing is if you just get the money, well, you know, you can tell them what they're gonna do with it. And we did do that, I will say, before the pandemic. A lot of this is pre-pandemic, before the you know, before the pandemic, he was getting an allowance and he was putting it. Ron Lieber has a great book called The Opposite of Spoiled, and he was putting it in jars, which are save, spend, and give, and that worked really well. And we would have rituals around money where whenever he received money from a relative, If it was in a check, we would, instead of doing it on the phone, I would have him go to the teller and we would deposit it. And he would make a video right then on the spot for the person that gave him the gift, thanking them for the gift and showing them that he was depositing it in his savings account to be invested in mutual funds. And then we would send that video To the you know, it was almost always a relative who had given him that money, and that way he had some sense of you know where it was going into the bank and that kind of thing. The teenage years, I'll tell you, fourteen is is a tough year for that because with the pandemic, he doesn't go anywhere really. His school has had a lot of COVID outbreaks, so I'm kind of throwing up my hands right now with that one. But the older ones, yeah, allowance definitely worked, and accountability with money. We have had them present us with budgets. Um, in college when they wanted you know, money to spend and that kind of thing. And I think that that can be really effective, the accountability aspect. I remember when the 22-year-old started college and we said to him, and, and he went to college in New York City, which is incredibly expensive, and we didn't really know what to do about a budget because it is so expensive that we wanted to be realistic with him. We didn't want to put him on such a tight budget that he couldn't participate in what his peers were participating in. And again, we are privileged enough that this was a choice. And he came to us and and we said, so for the first month or so, what we're going to do is, you know, and he's a very responsible kid. I would not recommend doing this with a kid who's going to go wild. This is not the kid that's going wild. This is the kid that's going to underspend. And we said, for the first month or so, we want you to just write down everything that you're spending and then we'll reimburse you. But we need to know everything you're spending and where the money's going. And then we'll evaluate together as a family how we're going to work out your spending money for college, right? And and by the way, he has jobs too. So this is just part of it. And he got upset. He said, wait, this is such a classic line, Hunter. He goes, wait, you're making me feel like a dependent. Well, you are a dependent. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Process that. And my husband was like, (laughs) exactly. He's like, you are one hundred percent dependent. This is before he had he, he taught fencing and things like that. But this is before he, he had like real jobs like he's had since. But he he was completely dependent on us in this at this point. We said you are completely dependent on us. You are dependent. He's like, well, I don't want to make you you make me feel like I'm dependent. Like like I need you for the money. And we're like, but you do. And I think that that was a really healthy thing for him and for us because it was out there. We mm-hmm. are completely supporting you and therefore we have a right to know where every penny is going. And that can incentivize a kid to, to earn their own money because maybe they don't want to have to answer to mommy and daddy, right? Yeah, yeah. And I don't know that that necessarily triggered him to get more jobs. He had, by the way, he, he did fencing for many, many years. And he was always teaching younger kids fencing. So he did always have jobs that sort of paid minimum wage. And and he was very good with the moms of the younger students. They would hire him to go coach them at... At fencing matches. So he was always a little bit entrepreneurial in that sense and always was respectful of earning money. But in this case, he was completely dependent on us. And he did go on to earn a substantial amount of money at various jobs in college, which he did invest. And as we record this, um, the investments are not looking great, but he has done very well over the last few years overall in his, in his investments. And we had a lot of conversations about where to invest the money and how to invest it whether you should put it all at once put it in dollar cost averaging and these are great conversations you can have anytime there's money on the table where to put it where to put where it
1: to, where to put that money i want to yeah. i want i definitely want to talk about that but just to kind of circle back to allowance just to fill you in, your listener about what we did knowing all the different things i know about intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation i didn't want their my kids allowance to be a reward for uh, things paid. I wanted them to help her out around the house because that's just what we do. Everybody does that. It's not tied to certain things. So they've gotten an allowance. They get half, I think it's like half of their age in allowance and dollars every week. So it's pretty generous. And what I wanted them to do, and they have to put a, you know, a certain amount automatically goes into savings. But what I wanted them to have the opportunity to do was to like, kind of go make their own mistakes with money. At a young age, just you know, so they would have experience, like you know, making mistakes, having failures, having good things, saving for things. And um, and I think that's been interesting to see. Like, we've even given out loans. We gave our daughter a loan to buy a fish tank <laughs> um, a few years ago. She got this big fish tank and all this fish. And she had she was broke for like six months after that because she was paying off her loan. So anyway. There's different ways to approach it and um, and and these all these the, these are all things to kind of think through. like what are you know what are you gonna what do you want your kids to to learn about money and and actually and so to f- just follow up with the allowance thing, our plan is for my daughter ends allowance at fifteen. Like you turn 15, I'm sorry, you don't have any allowance anymore. And so they're the, the hopefully incentivize them to like get their own part time jobs and things like that.
0: I love that. I'm learning so much from you. Um, Yeah, but I will say, like, they all have chores around the house. I mean, the 14 year old, he may not want to make his own bed for money. That doesn't mean I don't make him make his bed. And he does a lot of chores around the house, you know, cleaning up after himself, after meals. He does the garbage. He'll do, you know, help with the laundry and things like that. So we don't necessarily tie those things to allowance, but he just, right now, his top priority, he's not motivated by. It was, 15, it was $15 when we were doing it. But we, like I said, it's kind of fallen apart during the pandemic for all the reasons that a lot of things have fallen apart during the pandemic. He um, just, it, you know, kind of doesn't, not, not money motivated these days, but I think that's a season of his life. And I think that's another thing with kids is they go through different seasons.
1: Okay. So a lot of kids in these generations have been, we've been through a, a time of a lot of you know, very intensive parenting where we are much more involved in earlier generations. And we've seen books like Julie Lithcott Haynes, How to Raise an Adult and different things, how this is having an effect on kids. Are you seeing the way um, kids handle money or their comfort levels around money?
0: Is this has this been changing as uh, time goes on? I think it has been changing because there there's so much more information out there hunter and I think for the most part that's very healthy right because when we were growing up we didn't we couldn't just look up how things worked right if you don't understand it and sometimes kids will tell you they understand something and this applies to not just money and they only under they understand part of it or they think they understand it but not completely and a good example of that might be a 401k so a 401k is a retirement vehicle, but that's where you're putting the money. It's the bucket. It's not the investment within the bucket, right? So a lot of kids, and this happened and I talk about it in the book with my my 25 year old, when she got her first job, she diligently showed me, she's like, Look, I I'm maxing out my 401k. Aren't you proud of me? And I'm like, I am. What did you invest it in? And she goes, It's in the four oh one K. Okay. <laughs> that's how did you I would select answer a mutual you just- fund. Right. And, And so, and exactly. So you're laughing, but this is so common and it's so important. This is where it's kind of good to be a helicopter slash concierge parent and get in there because, you know, we can talk about taking losses and making mistakes. Like I think if a kid wants to buy a little bit of crypto, it may do great. I have no idea. I'm not saying it's not going to do well, but it may crash and burn. Okay. You're young. It's a small percentage. Take a risk, learn your lessons. Either way, fine. But you don't want them to learn a lesson in a way that's going to have lifetime ramifications. And if you don't get in there and make sure that your young adult, when they set up their 401k, actually puts the cash in an investment, and the system should be flagging this, by the way, but they may not, right? Right? You're going to have a kid who you know, looks up at a certain age and says, oh my gosh, I missed all these bull markets. I missed all the growth in the market. I missed all this compounding that could have happened with my money. So we as parents really should be proactive with our young adults and just do that little check with them. And to your point originally about the information, if a kid is embarrassed about a parent, at least we have that catch-all where we can say, okay let's go over this together. Let's pull up whatever your favorite website is. My favorite website for a lot of stuff, frankly, is irs.gov. The IRS's website is incredibly well-written, and you can look up exactly what you know. what is a 401k. It's not going to give you investing advice, obviously, but it's going to give you the actual definition because that's a part of the tax code. It will explain exactly what a 529 is. It will explain all of those things. Um, but there's so many other online resources that will give information where you could read it with your kid because maybe we all also have our self-doubt. Maybe the rules changed about a Roth IRA and we want to double check it when we're telling our kid that when they first start earning money and they're under that bar where there's a certain point when you earn enough income and we all aspire to do that. I know everyone wants to be earning so much money that they've maxed out their Roth IRA, but you want your kids to be investing in the Roth IRA if they have earned income as early as possible, because what better time than when they don't have dependents and other responsibilities? What better time when they have the longest runway possible to have that money grow than to sock away that money in a Roth IRA? You can look up this information with your kid because it's all online and just go over it with them. And it's such a wonderful thing, and it's a great thing to do together.
1: Bobby, I think you're going to have to help me become a financial <laughs> uh, grown-up here because, as as a kid, I grew up with you know lower middle class parents. There was no investing that happened in our family. Like it was not something that happened at all. I had to learn about it as an adult, and I had been I've you know I have been investing for the last you know, 15 years or so. But, and I started, I was very proud of myself for starting my kids a uh, investment account that like, I I do a wealth front account for each of them, just like a little bit of money. So I'm like, they will have that compound interest because it'll go for a long time. But I don't know what a Roth IRA is. Can you tell me that in basic language,
0: please? (laughs) So a Roth IRA, a Roth IRA is an investment vehicle. Generally, okay. So an IRA is retirement money okay individual retirement accounts you can put money in a traditional a traditional ira you're putting money in now and you don't have to pay tax on it now and so it can it will grow and then you pay tax when you take it out at age 59 and a half or later okay what happened recently is they they have a new kind of ira called a roth ira and you can put in money that's you've already paid the tax on and then you don't have to pay the tax ever again Ooh. Which is awesome because so then it if grows you have a child, you,
1: that sounds great. Yeah.
0: So here's so the real value add. So basically, you're paying tax either before or after, right? So for me, in theory, my husband and I were middle aged In theory, we're in our higher earning years, so we want to defer taxes because we think we'll pay less tax when we're retired, right? That's the bet. So we want to go into like a traditional IRA or any retirement vehicle where we pay the tax later. We don't want to pay tax now. But if you have a kid that's in a low tax bracket where they might be paying almost no tax, right? You want them to be in savings vehicles where they put in after-tax money and then they never pay tax again. Yeah. Oh, okay. So it's a big opportunity for young people to be in anything that's Roth. If they have a job and it offers a Roth 401k, do that. If they have a just if they're a ten ninety nine, which means they're basically part time employees or contract employees, which is what my kids were when they were in high school, um, then a Roth IRA is a great place to park some money. And as long as they have earned income, they can do that.
1: There's not a minimum that they need to do, or fee. If they earn a dollar,
0: they can put a dollar in. Really? I mean, if the, if the, let, let me say that. If you mentioned you're with Wealthfront, it, Wealthfront might have a minimum to open an yeah. account. So, no. not speaking oh, for that. But, you know, so. yeah. Mm-hmm. And most of them, if you say something like, well, I don't have $6,000 to write a check for right now, I can put in $50 a week, every week as an auto pay, hmm. they're good with that. Hmm. So, you know, so go you to go- your broker. You go to a
1: broker, or what if you don't have a broker? Like, what if you, you know, what where for the be- right. the beginners who are like, this sounds great. I should be doing this. Yeah, where the heck do you go?
0: <laughs> so I don't want to endorse any specific brand. Yeah, yeah, So yeah. I want to stay but, away from that. But it's you not mentioned like a wealth front mm-hmm. bank. There's, it's like a- you know, there's there's the robo advisors, and yeah. there's also um, you could do discount brokerages. So. Places where you could open up a Roth IRA, and again, I'm not endorsing any of them. Um, You could go to Fidelity. You could go to Schwab. You could go to, um, gosh, Vanguard is a popular one. And these are ones where, like, there are ones where people are doing it. And any bank, you know, Chase, Citibank. Okay.
1: There are ones where people are managing it. And then like the ones like that I mentioned that where it's like an algorithm or robo that that's managing the investment. Right? right.
0: So, so a wealth fund or betterment, those are robo advisors and they're hybrids. So they will often, if you want, they can, you know, you can be involved with a, a human, as they say, the discount is you know, you don't necessarily need a human actively managing your money. In fact, in most cases for a young person that's probably a bad idea because anytime a human is actively choosing stocks, it's gonna be more expensive. And traditionally those haven't necessarily done any better than an index fund. So for example, a company like Vanguard, and again I'm not endorsing any one company, Vanguard, you could go, you could speak with them on the phone and they will send you the proper forms and you can open up a Roth IRA. And then within that you can pick a an index fund like an ETF exchange traded fund, which is basically a basket of stocks that you could choose one that mimics an index. So you could choose one that mimics a popular index like the Standard & Poor's 500. And because it's automated in that you don't have a manager choosing each individual stock, it's just literally they're going to buy whatever's in the S&P 500. So there's like no thinking involved. The fees to do that will be very low. So again, not endorsing any specific place, but a place like Vanguard, you could go and you could... Open up a Roth IRA, they will explain it to you. They have great resources on their website. And then from there you choose your web, your your um, investment, which might be an ETF, like the Spiders, SPDR, and or you could do QQQ, it's a symbol for a technology one that's very popular. And you can have it auto, you know, automatically invested. And it's super easy. And you can have it happen just in the background of your life and not have to think about it. But you might want to say, OK, the limit, I can put in um, $6,500 this year into my Roth IRA. I'm going to divide that by you know, when I get my paychecks, 26 paychecks a year, whatever it is. And I'm going to put in that much every, every week, every other week. And Vanguard will be very happy to set up an auto deposit, to auto contribute every two weeks or whatever it may be that works for you. And then it's going to grow. And if you do that at a young age, the compound interest is going to be amazing.
1: Yeah. Is this something you did for your kids when they were teenagers to like help them get
0: started with this? So the book opens up, (laughs) this is a teaser for the book, with me. This is why I wrote the book, Hunter. I could not get them to open up the Roth IRAs. Oh no. I was having such a hard time. And I was thinking, wait, I have been a business news anchor talking about money for two decades. I wrote a book on how to be a financial grown-up, right? And I can't get my teenagers who are totally, you know, we're not talking about problem kids. They're both doing great. They both have jobs. They both have income. They have goals. They're they are nice, polite kids, whatever. And I couldn't get them to like, just open it. And there's, there's deadlines. You know, you have to do it. If you want to put in money and have the tax benefit, you have to do it by certain deadlines, you know, contributions by deadlines, open it by certain deadlines. And they just weren't doing it. And I had the hardest time. And I was like, well, here's my broker at my discount brokerage. You can use him. You can open up a robo account. Here's places. to. Open every I was like, however you want to do it and I will help you. And they were just like, yeah, yeah. And it wasn't getting done. And I finally had to sit down with them and talk to them. And it goes back to their values and what's important to them. Bradley did open one. He's maxed it out every year since. He's got a great growing investment account, except the market right now has been wonky. But for the most part, he's really been investing and has a very nice chunk of change as he graduates college in the markets and some in cash, but a lot in the market. Ashley was like, well, I want to buy an apartment. And if I want to buy an apartment, I need to have my cash accessible to me. And I'm not going to do that. And she may have opened the shell of a company, but she of a, of a Roth IRA, but she did not put money in there. And for me, I had to realize, well, wait, I had to listen to her. What is her goal with her money? Her goal was to buy a home. She wanted to be a homeowner. And she was at age 24 because she prioritized that. And she knew that she did not want to put her money at risk because she didn't have the 40-year time horizon that I'm talking about with you. She had a two-year time horizon. And she knew, she was a smart cookie, she knew that she did not want to put her money at risk. So it was a big lesson for me that even though sometimes things make sense on paper, you do have to pay attention to each child and understand what's important to them and work backwards from there. You can't necessarily tell them to do what you want them to do. You have to help them do what they want to do.
1: I, I love that you shared that story because I think that's, I can relate so much, by the way, because my kids are so resistant. Uh, some One of my kids is so allergic to mindfulness, uh, being the daughter of the Mindful Mama Mentor, <laughs> that that sometimes it's shocking. Um, but,
0: and, and I do want to <laughs> mention, by the way, that... The first person I called to be in the book was Julie Lithcott-Hames, who's in my book as an expert and has been so supportive of this book. And everyone should read her book, How to Be an Adult. And Chapter 8 has some incredible insights about her own experiences with money. Um, and so I highly recommend both of her books. She has two books that I think really are, are um, eye-opening and wonderful on the topic of adulting. But specifically, she does address money on that one chapter. And then of course in, in my book as well. But she had some very interesting experiences, which I'll leave for people to read in her words.
2: Oh, good. But some are okay. in my
0: book, some are in her book. So.
1: So there, from what I'm getting from you, like there are also things that, you know, there are pieces that we adults need to learn. You mentioned the investing, right? Like obviously I had no idea about a Roth IRA and it's better for young people maybe than for older people. What are some of the basics that the, uh, you know, we as parents, no matter how old our kids are, may want to make sure we are, we are t- handling in ourselves so then we can pass on this knowledge to our kids?
0: I love that you asked that. And one of the things, you know, the book's been out a little over a month, and I, the most common thing that people are coming to me and saying to me is, I don't feel secure enough in my own knowledge about money to teach my kids, so I avoid it. And I'm hoping the schools do it. And I think the schools should do it. I'm not saying the schools should not do as much as possible. So this is an and. And we as parents have to realize that whether we like it or not, we are the ultimate stakeholders in our children's future financial lives because if they can't stand on their own financially you know all the obvious problems but also being the generation and this is going you know to a lot of what julie julie lithcott work is you know as, as sort of the helicopter parents that we've become realistically we're probably going to give them our money to some degree and maybe extend their adolescence more than it should be and we're not letting them fly and letting them be independent. And so to parents who feel they aren't quite there yet, I would challenge them to get themselves there and start paying attention to their own behavior, what they're modeling for their children. Stop enabling their children to be financial children. I don't know what else to say about that, but, but you know, encourage them to be financial adults and financial grownups and, and understand that when they are, they will feel so good about it. There's nothing better than the satisfaction that a 25 year old has in paying her mortgage. I personally hate paying a mortgage. I would contend she loves it because it's a mark of adulthood and she's doing it successfully. As for your question more directly, um, I think one of the big things that we miss is, is wills and estate planning. And that's something that I myself had put off. Um, I mean, I took care of it a long time ago, but certainly I didn't have it you know, as early as I should have. And it's so important not just to have a will. Realize that, if you, first of all, if you don't have a will, you're going to go, the default will is what the government says. And I'm not going to get political here, but I'm just going to say, do you really want the government deciding everything, including your money? Okay? Because that's what you're saying if you don't have a will you're saying the government gets to decide what happens to my money. And I don't think anyone really wants that. So I definitely, there's ways to do, um, and I go through this in the book, but there's ways to do these things much more affordably than in the past. You don't have to get a fancy lawyer. You can do it very straightforward. Um, I think Legal Zoom, Trust and Will, and again, not endorsing them, but those are resources that you can do to get these things done. And while, while you're there... It's also important, and for young people to some degree more important, to think about power of attorney and um, health directives. So it's very important that, you know... A living will. You Like a living will. And because what I explained to my kids was, well, what happens if for some reason you're kind of just knocked out for a couple of weeks and you're in the hospital? How do I know what bills to pay? How do I have the right to pay the bills, right? It's really important to be able to get in there and help them with their finances if they're not available for whatever reason or whoever. Every, this, is, this goes to the whole family ecosystem. Everyone should have this because if something happens to you, you want someone to be able to take care of you. And if you don't have the proper legal documents in place, you're going to end up going to court. And if anyone knows anything about the court system, again, the last thing you want is have to go to a judge to get permission to, like, you know, basically get into the, you know, figure out what's going on financially with a member of your family. So I think that's really important. And obviously, you know, choices about health care, but, but, but especially the financial stuff is, is really, you know, in terms of my area of expertise, it's important to make sure that things are set up so that people can take care of your finances should something happen to you. Chastisement
1: taken. <laughs> my husband and I have had this conversation. We need to make wills, like for the last... 15 years. I'm For the last 15 years, I'd say we need to do that this year.
0: <laughs> and, and I want to give a little tip, especially with the cost of a will, because uh-huh. you have to do these things, but you also, I don't want anyone to feel they have to spend a lot of money. Many companies do have, um, especially if this is going to come out in the fall, in your, in your corporate benefits, often there is legal benefits. And this is something I missed for years, but often for a very small amount of money. I think the one at my husband's company might be $9 a paycheck. You can have access to a, a, a group of lawyers that can do straightforward things like a will. So one thing I go over in the book is with your young person, when they start a job, if it's a corporate job and there are benefits, go through all the benefits, all the ones. There's fun ones they might miss. There's boring ones like the lawyers I'm talking about. But go through them because there may be so many things that are so valuable to them that they may not think of, you know? So go through all of those. There might be pet insurance in there if they're thinking about, well, you know what? The older one just got a puppy. So, you know, pet insurance at a better rate might be available through your employer. So go through and don't leave, you know, benefits on the table. There's a lot of great stuff there, including legal stuff. So um, every plan is different. So read, I say read the fine print and read the big print. But I think that if you are worried about the cost of a will, just get a simple one done. It doesn't have to be complicated. And see if your company does offer legal benefits because that may be something you can tap into and save a lot of money. More importantly, get it done.
1: Okay, Bobby, you're giving us a lot of adulting to do, (laughs) which um, which is really important. But for for me... I feel slightly like daunted and exhausted by the whole idea. Do you have any recommend recommendations for like ways that we can kind of make it habit, or maybe we could close with that, like ways to kind of build some of this um, this financial um,
0: grown up work into our lives in a- on a regular basis. <laughs> well, I think again, this goes to what's going to work for you. But for people that like routines, you know, set up. Set aside a time, just like you set aside time for meditation, set aside a time with the, you know, the stakeholders in your financial life. So it might be a spouse, for example, and have, you know, monthly, weekly, whatever works for you, sit down meetings where you actually go over what is actually going on, just like a self-assessment, just like you would do in medicine or whatever it may be, and go over where are we right now, where do we want to be, what's going right what's going not as right as we would like and have those conversations one of the hardest things with money i find is that we might be married to somebody who has very different ideas about financial priorities and that's something that we all face challenges in and it can ebb and flow but you have to make those compromises and you also have to be very deliberate in who is going to be sort of the buck stops here person in my marriage it's me i'm the one that makes sure every bill gets paid there's a couple things he likes to pay for some reason he likes to pay the car insurance I don't know why, but he gets that bill and he just still pays it. Um, but basically, I pay everything else. Um, I think maybe it's because like he just he's attached to the car and he thinks I'll take away the car because we live in New York City as and Yorker, I don't think we yeah. need a car and he yeah. insists we do. <laughs> but anyway, but I've given it. I give him. I give him. That's fine. I give it to him. We have the car. We're keeping it. Um, but for the most part, I'm the one that does it. He knows where everything is. I encourage him to know as much as he wants to know. But at the end of the you know, someone's doing In other words, you don't want things slipping through the cracks. Oh, I thought you were doing the mortgage. Oh, I thought you were, you know, know who's doing it and have accountability and, you know, understand that that is part, it's a job. You're basically the CFO of your family. And it does take time. It does, you know, I have friends that, you know, they pay bills the, you know, the second Saturday of every month, whatever it is. So if you are a routine person, set up systems that work for you, just like you would in any other area of your life, if it works for you to color code and have, I still like to have folders where I print things out. And I have every year I have a box and I like my folders and I'll get different color folders. And I like to know which are, you know, I put expenses related to our apartment, expenses related to each child, things like that, because that's how my brain works. Some people can do the whole thing electronically. Your system is going to be what works for you.
1: Okay, Bobby, I'm going to commit to your listener. I'm going to commit to making a monthly financial grown-up meeting with my husband. We 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 worked hard to make sure he only has to work 4 days a week. So, on one of those Fridays every month in the afternoon, we're going to have a meeting.
0: I and I would definitely would schedule a first. reward after for and afterwards. Like if you're going to yeah, do yeah, that, yeah, yeah. be like, "Yes, and then we drink wine or whatever it may be that you guys love to do so you should celebrate you know and and go over goals and and it's just important most of all especially if you are not making decisions alone if there's other stakeholders in your in your family um you know other adults if you have a partner that you communicate and that you have a system where you have some autonomy with spending but also that you have an understanding of when you do check in with each other before making a big purchase. So some people, for example, might say anything under $250, you can just buy, but if it's going to be something over $250, let's always discuss it, that kind of thing. Or you may say, we're going to put all of our family expenses on this one credit card because we want to consolidate all of our points because we want to go on vacation with points. So let's decide we're going to put everything on this card together. You know, make plans together and you can almost make a game out of it. Of how you're going to reach those goals and that kind of thing. So it's it sounds you know it sounds like a chore, but really, I promise Hunter, you can make it fun and you can celebrate and do cool things with the whole idea of communicating about money with your partner. And and by the way, one thing that's interesting that happened in the pandemic, and and I really focus on older kids, um, is that a lot of the older kids came back to live with their parents as adults, and the relationships evolved, and the kids started. Either overhearing or participating in a lot of conversations about money with their parents. And that really strengthened a lot of relationships and helped them evolve in a wonderful way where younger people had a much better understanding of why their parents were stressed out about money growing up or why they're focused about this. Or, you know, people have different behaviors tied to how they feel about money. It's very emotional for people. It also gave parents a big appreciation of the financial challenges and the career challenges that face younger people these days, which are very different from the ones that we faced. Many of them don't have jobs where they go to, where they feel like they have a second family, right? When I started work, my first job was at CNBC, That became, to some degree, my social life. It became my post-college friendships. I developed mentors there that I've kept in touch with. And so a lot of younger people, if they're in the gig economy or they're working remotely, they don't have that support system. And so it's important for us to understand that they are evolving as adults very differently as well. Mm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We don't want to make any assumptions, that curiosity, right? Like that open lines of communication is like a thread kind of weaving through this whole thing. Um, Bobby, thank you so much. Everyone go out and get launching financial grown ups. I'm going to be going and getting my coffee. <laughs> <laughs> it's about helping your almost adult kids become everyday money smart. Thank you so much for sharing your expertise and your time with us, Bobby. I, I know that some of us might have to go back and re-listen and say, what was that ETF or that QQQ <laughs> and all of those questions, but I really, really appreciate you sharing um, sharing your time and, and what you've learned with us here today. So where can people
0: find out more about what you're doing? Well, first of all, Hunter, thank you so much. And I want to thank you because I learned so much from you on all of your podcast episodes. I feel like I learned so much from you, even just talking to you here today. So the first thanks is to you and thank you um, to your audience for, for listening. Um, you can learn really everything you need to know by just coming to my website, which is just my name. So it's bobbyrebel.com B-O-B-B-I-R-E-B-E-L-L.com. If you Buy the book. Thank you, thank you, thank you for that, first of all. And please um, leave a review on Amazon and and let people know about the book. I really appreciate the support. I appreciate the interest. This is a labor of love for me. As I said, I wrote this because I needed it. And I'm always learning. I'm always facing new challenges where I don't have the answer myself. And I was very fortunate to have an incredible group of experts that are in the book that we all can learn from. And it's been a wonderful journey and I look forward to learning more and I look forward to hearing from your audience any feedback they have on the book. So be in touch on all the socials. Um, For the most part, it's just my name. I think on Instagram is the only exception, which is Bobby Rebell and the number one. Um, So please be in touch with me and thank you so much. Thank you. It's been really a pleasure.
1: What an awesome conversation, right? We need to know this, right? Like managing money is a basic life skill that teens need. And we need to be, I love how she says we should be open and transparent and so, so important. If you enjoyed this episode, please do me a favor. Share it on your Instagram stories and tag me in it at Mentor and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. That makes the biggest difference in the world and I I greatly appreciate it. And man, we're coming up on the holidays. I hope you're doing well. I'm currently, as I record this, like still on crutches from pulling or tearing my calf muscle. So I'm on my butt so much more than I would like to be. (laughs) So you can walk currently, just appreciate it. That's all I ask appreciate your ability to walk. Man, so frustrating not to be able to go for a walk. Sometimes I like to think about like, I don't have an earache right now. Like I can see, I can to have gratitude for these things that are seemingly small things, right? And that, you know, that we don't ever pay attention to. Like I, right now, like I have both arms, I have both legs, which I do actually, I should pay attention to that. But anyway, this is an invitation for you, if you can walk right now to appreciate that. <laughs> it ain't happening for all of us so yeah i hope you're doing well my friend thank you thank you so much for listening thank you for being here to the end of this episode and hanging with me and i really really appreciate it i appreciate this tribe more than you can imagine so anyway thank you and i wish you a beautiful week i wish you well I wish you ease I wish you peace i hope you don't stress out too much going into the holidays and i will be right back at you next week Thank you so much for listening. Namaste.
5: Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory. Two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? Gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact invented. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was